Hello, everyone. Thank you all for attending. Um, so this talk is going to be on missing data in global health and why it matters. And a quick introduction to our speaker. Saloni Datani is a researcher on global health at Our World in Data. She is also a founding editor of Works in Progress, a quarterly magazine which focuses on new and underrated ideas to improve the world. Saloni has a background in biomedical science and a genetic epidemiology and holds a PhD from the University of Hong Kong and King's College London, where she conducted research on the impact of study design on outcomes in psychiatric genetics. And without further ado, Saloni Datani. Thank you for the welcome. Um, can you hear me properly or should I speak louder? Okay. Um, I'm Saloni, uh, as Alex mentioned. I'm a researcher at Our World in Data and a co-founder of the online magazine Works in Progress. Um, this is my email in case you need to contact me. Um, I initially thought about focusing on lots of different topics in global health and how much missing data there is in each one and it just didn't fit into a 20-minute talk. So I've focused on a really big um, area that I think is quite important, um, and that's causes of death. Um, so just to start off, uh, I'm gonna show you a chart that you've probably already seen. Um, this is from The Economist, and it's an estimate of the excess deaths during the pandemic in India. You can see the blue line shows the number of uh, reported deaths from COVID, which was about half a million. And the excess deaths, some of which were, uh, or many of which were attributed to COVID, uh, were about 10 times that number. And the same pattern was seen across the world in different regions, uh, in high-income countries, low-income countries, and middle-income countries. And in total, that meant that there was a wide disparity between the number of confirmed COVID deaths and the excess deaths. Uh, I take two key messages from this chart. The first is that there's a wide amount of uncertainty around how many deaths from COVID actually occurred. And the second is that even the lower bound estimate of excess deaths is almost triple the number that was officially reported. Um, so I want to take a step back and ask why we're missing data in the first place. How did we get to the situation where so many deaths were gone unrecorded? Um, and to do that, we need to understand how we know what people are dying from. So what happens when someone dies is that a doctor or a nurse who took care of them fills in a death certificate. If they don't have a doctor or nurse who took care of them, that, then that might go to a coroner who investigates the cause of their death. And in this certificate, they go backwards to describe the steps that led to the person's death. So it might start off with a heart attack and go backwards to the underlying cause that caused the heart attack. Um, then these certificates are collected by each country's civil registry, and this underlying cause of death is turned into a death code by the International Classification of Diseases. So for example, someone who dies of tuberculosis is given the code A15. Then once a year, each country sends these death codes to the WHO, um, who collects it and then investigates the causes of death across the world um, and within each country. Uh, but there's a problem with this process. The first step of this problem is that many deaths are not registered at all. So in this chart, you can see uh, a map of the proportion of deaths that are registered in different countries. 
Um, and you can see that in many countries, almost all deaths are registered, whereas in other countries, especially in Africa and South Asia, not all deaths are registered. Um, some of the countries that have no data on this chart actually don't have a functioning civil registry, which means they don't have any deaths registered. The second point is that many deaths are registered without a cause of death. So in this chart, you can see um, these, I don't know why that's overlapped, but even in countries with death registration, people might not be given a cause of death. Um, so one that I want to point out is uh, India, for example. So in the previous chart, um, you might have noticed that India had around 80% of their deaths officially registered, but only around 10% were registered with a cause of death. And what this means is that most of the world lives in countries without good cause of death data. Uh, there's even a further problem aside from all of those. Um, it's that many deaths are not given a precise cause of death. So here you can see the share of deaths that are registered with an ill-defined cause of death. That includes things like chest pain, sudden death, events of undetermined intent. Essentially when the doctor doesn't actually know what has caused their death or doesn't have medical records for them. Uh, this is a chart that shows the share of countries with a census or a civil registry. So a census is conducted once every 10 years um, to find out about the demographics of the population and the number of people who live in a country, whereas the population register, which is the last line on the chart, uh, is a record of the births and deaths in the country. And these civil, civil registries are modern. The first one was uh, started in Sweden in 1749. But most countries still don't have them, especially in Africa and parts of Asia. So these censuses don't collect causes of death, which means that the only place that we can learn about causes of death directly from uh, each government is from the civil registry, which doesn't exist in many countries. So in total, many deaths are not registered at all. Even among those that are registered, many aren't registered with cause. Even among those that are registered with a cause, many of them lack a precise cause of death. And so in this chart, you can see um, the number of deaths versus the number of deaths that are reported to the WHO with a meaningful death code. So around 55 million deaths are predicted to uh, occur each year, but only just above 10 million are reported with a death code. And obviously, we don't actually know exactly how many deaths are occurring because we don't have this data in the first place. So this is estimated based on the age structure of the population and other information. So why does this happen? Why don't they have civil registries? Why don't we get this uh, data from each country? There are a lot of factors. Uh, the first is civil institutions. So some countries just lack a functioning civil registry, as I mentioned, which keeps records of births and deaths. There are also legal factors. Some, in some countries, death registration doesn't have legal consequences. It doesn't affect inheritance or insurance, and there aren't penalties uh, to stop people from not registering their deaths. Uh, there's also effects of labor, infrastructure, and technology. So many countries lack doctors, hospitals, testing, medical records, and coroners who would determine a cause of death. And finally, there are cultural factors. So some causes of death are stigmatized, especially AIDS and suicide, and they go misreported as other causes of death. 
Um, I'd like to focus on uh, this factor on hospitals. So many people around the world die outside hospitals, and I tried to find a good data set um, to understand what proportion of people died outside hospitals, um, but it turned out that there wasn't very good data on that. So this map, for example, shows the per percentage of people who are estimated to die outside uh, at home, but the data only comes from 49 countries at least once between 2005 and 2019. Um, but you can see based on these estimates, it suggests that in many countries, there's a high, very high proportion of people who are dying at home. And what this means is that without a doctor to look after them or medical records, they might not get a cause of death on their certificate. And these countries also tend to lack coroners who might investigate it further. So given all of this, how do we even know what people are dying from? Where are we getting these causes of death on our website, for example? Um, there are different resources we can use. One is a subnational study, so districts or regions within a country might do their own surveys. Um, you could look at excess deaths compared to a baseline, which is what was done in COVID. Uh, but that's also quite difficult because you have to be able to attribute the excess to a specific factor, and it might be hard to know what proportion of that excess is directly due to COVID, for example. Um, but this might include things like household surveys or investigations into the number of burials that are occurring in the country. One problem with this is we might lack data to know what the baseline even is. Um, the second, uh, a third uh, way that we can find out what people are dying from is by using estimates from other countries. So we can like compare their characteristics, their poverty levels, their age structure, climate, and so on, and just estimate it based on that. But those other countries might also lack good cause of death data, especially if they have similarly low uh, incomes and uh, tropical climates and so on. A final way is to do what is called a verbal autopsy. So this is when you interview relatives to find out about people in their households who have died and try to find out what they've died from. So this was the approach done by a very large study in India called the Million Death Study. Um, this took place between 1998 and 2014, and it was uh, intended to be nationally representative, and it involves interviewing two and a half million households once every six months um, during this time period. So these people were asked about their deceased relatives, the symptoms they had before they died, and based on that, doctors tried to figure out what they were dying from. And then this, all these results were extrapolated to the rest of India. Uh, it was ex extremely cheap um, given the data that they collected, so it's estimated to have cost about one US dollar per household. And I'm going to show you a few results, some of which are surprising. They're not representative of all the results, they're just ones that I thought were interesting and relevant to this talk. Um, so the first is that they found that infant and child mortality declined across causes, regions, and gender. Um, that might not be surprising to you. A second is that they found that causes of death tend to be different for people who die at home versus in the hospital. So for example, you can see that with tuberculosis, uh, a larger share of people who are dying at home are dying of tuberculosis than people who are dying in the hospital. Another interesting one was snake bites. So this study estimated that around 46,000 people die from snake bites in India each year. Um, this was very surprising because the WHO estimated 
around 12,500 deaths per year before that, and the Indian government only recorded 1,000 deaths per year. They found that about 94% of snake bite deaths occurred in rural areas, and 77% occurred outside hospitals. And maybe that's part of why they had missed uh, these deaths in the estimates before. Um, and because of that, the estimate is that around one in 250 people in India die by snake bite by the age of 70, which makes it a very large cause of death. Um, and this led to substantial revisions of the WHO's estimates. So you can see in this chart, for example, that snake bites are now one of the leading tropical diseases um, that kills people worldwide. Uh, there were also some other interesting results from this study. One was that they estimated 200,000 people died from malaria in India per year. This was 13 times the WHO's estimate at the time. Um, and this is a chart that shows that. So this chart shows the mortality rate across different age groups. So the WHO's estimate is on the black line, and you can see that they estimated very few deaths among elderly people, whereas in this study, across each phase of the study, they estimated a very high burden among the elderly. And the same age mortality curve has also been found in other studies that have been conducted since then. So this shows the same kind of curve from the in-depth study, which was conducted in Africa and had a very similar approach. Um, they included several um, countries in Africa and also in Sierra Leone. The problem is we actually still aren't clear about whether these deaths are from malaria. Um, and the reason for that is that we're using symptoms that are reported by the people's relatives. So they might not remember the relevant symptoms. They might confuse them with some other causes. Um, there's a lack of medical records and testing for malaria. And it's possible that it might be confused with other mosquito-borne diseases. Similarly, for some types of deaths, especially AIDS and suicide, it's possible that relatives might misreport evidence. And these studies also don't include the entire population. So re regardless of the way that you're looking at it, the results are extrapolated. Now, these limitations are much worse for rare causes of death because you won't have enough people in, in the sample. Um, but it's also a problem for causes that are difficult to distinguish, like malaria and other mosquito-borne diseases. But I think even though they have these limitations, they're a big step forward. They give us benchmark figures to compare the other studies to. They help us understand why people are dying, what people are dying from outside hospitals, and they also improve estimates for other countries. I think this is a crucial point because it implies that each step forward makes a much bigger difference than you might think. So better data from one region also means improved estimates for similar regions. Um, I'd like to come back to this question of why these estimates were so far off. Um, the main one is that the estimates tend to come from data from non-tropical countries and urban areas even within tropical countries. And in these areas, most people die in hospitals. Some causes of death are less common, and most deaths are counted. And this means the data is missing systematically. And that makes it really difficult to extrapolate. You're missing data from the countries that you would extrapolate from. Now, these types of verbal autopsy studies, like the million death study, have also been conducted in other regions. Um, and they've also led to revisions of global estimates. And it leads me to the question of what we're missing, 
or under, underestimating in other countries. Um, so why does all of this data matter? To put all other numbers in context, if you want to calculate numbers per capita, rates per 100,000 people, or anything that you want to do uh, where you're thinking about proportions or rates, it matters. It matters for planning and decision making, whether that's by individuals, governments, NGOs, or private companies. And it affects lots of different questions you might have. Which conditions are going untre uh, untreated? Where are doctors needed? How many doses of medicines and vaccines are needed? How much progress are we making? Are new problems emerging? And even if these different estimates agree that something like malaria is a big problem, if we're misestimating the numbers by a factor five to 10 times, that's a huge deal. So if I come back to this chart, hopefully it makes a little more sense uh, why that's happened. Um, and just to summarize, missing data in global health is widespread. It's highly unequal. It can have large consequences. It doesn't mean we're completely in the dark because there are still other ways to make estimates and it's not an excuse to not act. And each step forward improves the other estimates we can make. So what should we aim for? Um, I think we should aim for more high quality underlying data, less need for extrapolation, having routine long-term data collected uh, from the relevant places, and having more accurate and precise estimates. We don't want overly precise estimates that are completely off, but we also don't want a huge uncertainty range. And we want numbers that we can be more confident in citing. So how do we get there? Um, well, for readers and for data communicators, including myself, I think that data quality should be emphasized alongside numbers. It affects how you interpret them. It's like having units on a chart. Uh, for researchers, I think researchers should highlight missing data, gaps in the, in the knowledge in the field, highlight what's uncertain, and let other people fill in the gaps. Um, they should also deliberately study underrepresented populations. And countries should invest in labor, technology, institutions, and health infrastructure to collect and share data regularly in the long term, because this really does matter quite a lot. And the, in the ideal situation, we would have universal data coverage for causes of death and many other topics, um, as has already occurred in some countries in the world. Thank you for listening. Um, if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Thank you very much, um, Saloni. Um, I forgot to mention before, but you can submit questions digitally um, using the Swap Card, card app um, in the live discussion section. Um, I've got a quick question to start. Um, I, I found it fascinating, the million death study. Um, you mentioned the WHO's um, estimates. Were they compared to um, deaths that were unattributed, um, or were they deaths that they just didn't know about in the first place? For uh, can, can snake you bites, that? for okay. example. Right, so for snake bites, um, what happened was that they used uh, lots of studies that had already been con conducted in other con countries. Um, often using data from registered deaths, so you would then miss the deaths that might be occurring outside hospitals. Um, and also, you may miss lots of deaths that are occurring in rural areas, which is where a lot of these snake bite deaths were occurring. Um, but these were the estimates that they uh, expected to occur from snake bites in India. Thank you very much. We've got a 
few questions that have just come in. Um, I'll start with um, one from Tom Daniels. Um, have we seen governments use mass verbal studies, like the one you mentioned, to measure prevalence of diseases in living people too? Um, if so, has that similarly led to revisions to WHO estimates for non-fatal diseases? That's a really good question. Um, I think I should look into that more and give you a better answer, um, but I, I don't have anything to say right now. Yep, there's one from Josh Blake. How come estimates prior to studies not account for the systematic biases? Um, for example, urban, urban and non-tropical areas. Um, these seem like obvious factors that should have been accounted for in the modeling to form mm -hmm. estimates. That's a really good point. Um, so the problem with this kind of missing data is that the range of estimates that you're getting from the urban areas is very limited in the, the amount of variation that you're getting, whereas the rural areas are just so far off, it's, it's not easy to extrapolate the numbers of deaths, especially when you don't have that many data points to work from. Um, so that's one of the main reasons for that. And a question from Andrew Jeffrey. Have some of the studies been replicated in nations with better data to calibrate? Also a great question. Um, so in terms of replicating, what we might be interested in is replicating like the age mortality curve for malaria, for example. Um, I don't think that has been shown in areas with low prevalence of malaria, and that might be a reason to believe that these estimates are credible. So in the areas where malaria is highly prevalent, you see this curve uh, with age, and in the others you don't, and that might be because of better healthcare and so on. Um, but also, it, we're trying to look at how these factors vary around the world, and so replicating them in another country is not exactly the, the, the point of the question. So we're, we're the, you wouldn't see such high numbers of deaths in these other countries with better data. And one final question. Um, what is information capacity? I think you mentioned it. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I could go back to the chart, but essentially information capacity is um, an index of many different population um, estimates. So it's whether countries have a civil registry a census um, and so on. So it's it's just a metric to show how many of each of those they have. Yeah, and that was the final question. So if we give uh, Saloni one final round of applause. Thank you very much.